Good morning and good evening, everyone from across the world. Hope everyone had an exciting weekend. This is week number four, episode number four of EPL State of Mind. I hope everyone is ready to get into the EPL State of Mind with myself, James, co-host Sean and Kyle. Unfortunately, there has been some unfortunate, saddening world news this morning that came out. So to start off our podcast, we'd like to send our thoughts and our prayers over to those who are affected by the earthquake in Turkey. Uh, if you have not already heard, but uh, by the time you're probably listening to this, it's either happening yesterday or is happening right now, uh, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit Turkey this morning, and approximately the number is unfortunately going up, but around 2,003 people have currently passed. So our thoughts and our prayers are to those affected across the world and in Turkey. All right, with our thoughts and our prayers over in Turkey, I will not make this light, but thoughts and prayers are also to Kyle uh, from finding out some more unfortunate news this morning on a completely different scale. But Man City, yeah, you you sure you haven't seen anything from myself, Sean, or anyone else throughout the entirety of this morning of Man City being charged with breaching Premier League financial rules from 09-10 season to the 2017-2018 season, over 100 accounts. We saw this come up once with UEFA trying to get them, and now it's in the Premier League. So, Kyle, I'm sorry for your loss, but also I'm really not that sorry. I mean, yeah, it's awful what's going on. There's um, there's no communication between the coach, between the board, between the rules, between the laws, the money, this, that. It's just awful. Um, I can see the headlines already five years from now. Frank Lampard wins Premier League with Manchester City. It's going to be great. <laughs> Pep is going to leave. He has every right to leave. The board lied to him again. And while I don't truly believe that he had no knowledge of this, I mean, how could he not? But I don't see him staying. Not, not after this. There's little hope. We're looking at, if I had to guess, a large point reduction as well as massive fines which are going to mean nothing to a team like manchester city fortunately but the point reduction will i don't see england letting us into european football again for probably two years i would say and then there's talks of this they're going to strip titles they're going to ban us from the league this that that would be awful so i'm just gonna wait patiently and see what happens can't really speculate more than that yeah i mean for those who don't know that uh, news this morning broke that Man City had breached financial fair play rules within the English Premier League. Uh, now, this is slightly different from what we spoke about. I believe it was week two or week one with Juventus. Uh, Juve were hit with a 15-point deduction. I do think that something like that could happen here point-wise, maybe something greater even. Uh, but this was not a case of inflating or deflating transfer fees going in and out and cooking the books uh, like uh, Juventus did. This is a little bit less uh, cut and dry. This is their city is being accused of, accused of disguising cash injections into the club as sponsorship and endorsement deals, as well as having secret contracts with managers or a manager in particular where his wages were not actually reflected properly. They were more than what they were. So, so they're calling it a secret, excuse me, a secret contract uh, between that. So a lot of crazy facts coming out to light now. Um, one thing I would like to point out and to mention to everyone is they went through something very similar. Sean, what, what, what year was this? Was two years ago uh, yeah. where they were, were going? 
Yep. So UEFA charged them in 2020 for breaching financial fair play rules, um, and they re- received a two-year ban from Euro- European football. Um, but thankfully, when you're backed by the royal family of Abu Dhabi, you can just pay for every expensive lawyer on the planet. They were able, excuse me, able to get the charges dropped um, after uh, the the ban was overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, and the fine was reduced. I believe it was 30 million initially, and it was reduced to 10 million um, in terms of euros. However, uh, the major difference between uh, that incident and this one is that the the Court of Arbitration for Sport has no authority and no jurisdiction. Um, if there is an appeal process, it'll go through a panel created by the Premier League. So um, they don't have the same avenue to get out of this, to, to wriggle their way out. Um, and just going back a little bit, I think the the main thing is the kind of giveaway. If, if you really look into uh, the money side of football, there's something called the Deloitte Money League, which tracks uh, revenue and, and all sources of revenue for all the major clubs throughout Europe. Um, it's pretty interesting if you're a nerd like me and you enjoy the financial side of things um, and business side. But um, just just this past year, Man City recorded an all-time record of 373 million euros in uh, commercial revenue, which includes sponsorships um, and brand brand engagement deals, as we mentioned. Um, that's 55 million more than second place Real Madrid, almost 100 million more than Liverpool, and uh, 65 million more than their their uh, city rivals of of Manchester United. Um, and you know, despite their recent success, you know, the last 10 years, they do not have the history or the fan base to kind of support those brand deals. Um, so the expectation or, or the thought process is basically that um, Man City was, was using their board's relationships um, and connections with other businesses around Abu Dhabi and throughout the United Arab Emirates um, to overinflate the value of brand sponsorships. Um, and basically, like you said, um, use cash injections uh, to fund their fund their businesses and things like that uh, in terms of transfer market. You know, those are some really crazy numbers that you're throwing out there. And and just for everyone, like Sean is only talking about commercial revenue too. There are multiple other streams of of financials to come into an actual physical team or essentially a business because everything everyone has to realize that yeah, this is a sports league, but every team is a business oriented machine. And uh, you can get your cash flows from the commercials, match day, transfer fees, all, all that nonsense. And Man City has been number one the past couple of years. Um, and this year, they're still up at number one with a total, I believe it was $660 million. And that includes, you know, the fees and the prize money uh, from winning the champ. Uh, I'm sorry, they've never won the Champions League, Kyle. <laughs> I, I, winning the Premier Okay. Well, the Premier League, the Premier, yeah, <laughs> the Premier League, yeah. they won they were at Manchester City. So it's it's a lot of money coming in and out. So you need to keep a tight record of all this stuff. So, you know, do I think that we're going to see Man City hit with something really, really hefty where it's going to cripple them for the rest of their lifetime and possibly see them exit the Premier League? No, I don't. At this point, I think we're way too far past that time uh, to kind of shut down a major team like City, but I do think it will be a immediate effect. And I'm hoping not only because of an Arsenal fan, but because of, you know, a regular, you know, 
sports fan of keeping everything clean, everything fair. I think it would be a great precedent, especially at the time where all these transfer fees are coming in to outrageous numbers. I think this will be a great time to use Man City as an example and then use Chelsea as an example once we start cracking down on just maintaining some healthy transfer fees. It's crazy. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate to hear this news coming in halfway through the season. I don't want it to diminish what is already occurring in the season. There's still a lot of good playing. There's still a lot of soccer to be played left. So I think this will kind of be a, a minor distraction. And hopefully we don't see something as, as drastic as the removal or suspension of games for Man City. Now, uh, Sean, you were talking about a couple different differences between what this was with UEFA in 2020 and what was financial fair play in the EPL, which is going to be what we're, we're looking at here on this one that is regarding the Man City's dwellings and their doings between the 2009 uh, season and 2018 season. And one of the biggest things that got them off the hook during the UEFA is that, like you said, they bought all these expensive lawyers and their big thing that they hung their hat on was that they were not able to justify the fact that this timing was of any relevancy that when right. in 2022, all those items that they're being accused of through UEFA, what got them off the hook was, hey, you guys waited too long. This is, you know, there's a time bar here. And yep. luckily in the English Premier League, there is no time bar. They could dig back into the, the books as far as they want. So it kind of uh, eliminates an escape goat for City here. So, I mean, I know everyone's going to be talking about it for the next couple of days, but what, we're, what our possible punishments are, and Kyle already listed off a few of those, um, but there's five that come to mind and that what people will be talking about over the next couple of days. It's One is match suspensions. I, I find that very high, highly unlikely based on the fact that we're halfway through the season. Um, so that would have a lot of uh, ramifications to other teams as well, kind of taint the season a little bit. So I don't see that as happening. I see point deduction being an extremely high possibility. Now they could do that for this season and or future seasons. So hopefully I would like to see it happen this season for clear and obvious reasons. But however that the board uh, feels is just is going to be how it's going to be handled. You could get expulsion from the league. This one isn't set in stone. The law within the English Premier League uh, table is kind of up into up for interpretation, but I don't see that one happening. Uh, titles can be stripped via Rule W fifty one point ten. So this one's an interesting, right? Because this one's kind of up for interpretation as well. And it's I'm going to quote it here: The Commission can, and unquote, make such other orders as it sees fit presumably including the ability to strip titles from any club who won them. I find this very unlikely, but just so everyone does realize that Man City did win three titles within that time frame of 2009 to 2018. So that's that would be a bit bonkers in my opinion. But hey, as a Liverpool fan, Sean, I'm sure you wouldn't mind seeing that because I think you probably come up as second in two of those seasons. How many? Yep. So, uh, yeah, it would be uh, the 13-14 season, Liverpool finished second, and then 18-19. So the, the thought process being that if the if you consider the 17-18 season and then 18-19, considering it's in the same financial year, there is some potential that the 18-19 season results in uh, Liverpool being awarded that. And then I believe the other two would be uh, Manchester United uh, would, would be awarded those. But again, still very early in the process. This All this news just broke this morning. Um, 
hopefully we did the, as good as we can in summarizing it. But um, we, we obviously are just speculating on what the potential punishments could be. And we will uh, keep you guys abreast of any updates that come in the next, you know, coming episodes. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll go over this more when Chelsea gets hit with this next year. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and the, fi the final potential, and like Sean said, we're assessing the situation as it grows and gathers more information. But like Kyle said, it could be a hefty cash fine, which I don't think is an issue with the way uh, Man City has their money, but also something to take into factor that will play in on their revenue for upcoming years, right? So that means when financial fair play comes into effect in their new regulation, where you can spend 70% of your income or your revenue, the fee goes against that revenue. So it does prevent you from, you know, exploiting your full wallet. So a bit of crazy news. I know we'll talk more about Manchester City when we do our game highlights, because obviously uh, they lost against Tottenham, won nothing. Um, but we'll, we'll, I don't think we need to go over that. Well, we will. We definitely will. Because luckily for me, the, a miracle of a weekend happened, uh, for what we had to, you know, maybe get passed through, but you know, it's a bump in the road, but we'll talk about that later. We have a couple more hot topics here, starting with Jesse March. Uh, as soon as it looks like he's going to have an American roster, he gets sacked by Leeds. Uh, they sit currently in 17th place, just above the relegation zone, only ahead of Everton on goal differential. So that's a bit nuts. Uh, Leeds had not won a Premier League game since a 4-3 win over Bortmouth on November 22nd. So I don't know if we can call them the United States Leeds anymore because their, uh, their president, their chief, their gaffer is now uh, up for debate here. I don't know who we'll see come in and take his place, um, but I'm sure we'll have a couple opinions on that moving forward. But RIP United States of Leeds that lasted about a week. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully we get someone else nice in there. A big one, I think, I mean, everyone's aware of this, but Enzo Fernandez from Benfica to Chelsea, and it breaks the English transfer record of 107 million pounds. Sean, this is some crazy money for a crazy player. What what can you provide as a bit further detail and insight to what we should be expecting from Enzo? Is it worth all the coin? And and just a little bit of your info here. Yeah, so Enzo Fernandez, obviously, uh, part of the reason why the, the fee is so inflated uh, at 107 million pounds, as you mentioned, breaking the English transfer record, um, is because of a World Cup tax. He just won mm -hmm. the World Cup with Argentina. He was voted young player of the tournament in that World Cup. And Benfica only just recently purchased him this past summer. Um, so I, with, with River Plate, which is uh, one of the elite clubs in, in Argentina and South America. Um, so when you, when you factor all that in, Chelsea pretty much had to pay the premium to get him right now. Um, they would have faced extremely stiff competition in the summer from probably Real Madrid mm -hmm. he was linked to. Uh, Liverpool, if FSG ever decided to open their wallets, and a couple of other mm. teams, but Todd Bowley and uh, and Chelsea get it done now. To me, this is a super exciting signing. Um, if you love watching great midfield play, Enzo Fernandez is your guy. Uh, his long passing, his ability to switch the play, is you know second to none. He reminds me of kind of like a hybrid of my boy Thiago Alcantara, uh, former Bayern and current Liverpool man, and then also Nico Nicola Barella uh, from Inter. Um, just the, the class, the poise on the ball is, is excellent, but also very underrated aspect of his game is 
his ability to win the ball back, um, you know, tackling, breaking up play with interceptions, and he's tenacious in doing so. Um, I really love watching the guy play. I would say do not get bogged down in the stats with him. He's mm-hmm. not going to score, you know, more than two or three goals a season. Maybe maybe he has four or five uh, on an off year, you know, something really crazy. But he's really more of the guy who plays the pass from deep to set up the assist. Essentially, the hockey assist, uh, the pass before the pass that sets up the goal. Extremely exciting player. Uh, I really like. I I love watching the guy play. I mean, he was he was electric in the Champions League for for Benfica in this uh in this past group stage. He was great for Argentina in the World Cup, and we saw it quickly in in that game against Fulham too. Just just oozes class. He oozes mm-hmm. class like you know a Rutgers frat boy oozes gonorrhea. Uh, after a long week, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Jesus, <John. laughs> I mean, getting to the uh, the posture of his play is phenomenal, especially at someone who has such a young age. And, you know, Chelsea did the Chelsea thing, I believe, right, Sean? This is an eight and a half year contract as well. One thing that I wanted to point out during this is, is, during that Fulham game, you could really see he has a presence in that central defensive midfield position. And it looks like it's going to be a, a massive building block for this very young Chelsea team now that is taking the title of youngest starting 11, most likely out of Arsenal's possession. Once Thiago, uh, uh, you know, retires that way, you know, they're what under 24, I think years of age now. Yeah, that's correct. Sorry, I was on mute. We have, you know, Mudrik on the left side, which who, uh, as I changed our photo of our group chat to his player match rating of 5.6, has, you know, maybe taken this a bit personally. I, I, I would like to see where this goes between Mudrik and Enzo because Mudrik came in as the number one signing, the big signing, high value, high money, and then Enzo comes in a week later and he's now the star boy. So I think Mudrick might be a little bit hurt uh, by that. But also, you know, when you have a team full of talent, young talent like that, I think you got to set some things aside and look for the collective greater good. So really exciting to see Chelsea come out. And we'll we'll talk to them or talk about them a bit more when we get to the Fulham-Chelsea draw, which was the most exciting 0-0 draw of the season thus far. Uh, but... Really a lot of important things to mention with Enzo. So thanks, Sean, on that. Another thing that we found this weekend, or rather last week, that was really exciting is um, Nathan Apoku, who signs with Leicester City from Syracuse University. So coming right here from the States, he is the first player uh, to go straight from college to the Premier League. So he initially was going to go... Uh, most likely to St. Louis City FC, the expansion team, with the overall Super Draft number one pick. Uh, he elected not to. He is going to be signing with Leicester City and immediately go on loan uh, to, I believe it's their sister club, uh, which is O.H. Leuven? Leuven? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It, that was pretty solid in the uh, Jupiler Pro League in Belgium, so where Leandro Trossard came from that we spoke about last week, so it's the same Belgium league there. So they're a sister league owned by Leicester City. Uh, Really exciting. Obviously, having our HQ here in the States, it's exciting to see uh, someone coming from Syracuse, who is not far away from us at all over here in New York, 
uh, that's upstate, obviously, but a really exciting fact. You know, it's it's very promising. And of course, because it's close here in the States, but also close to our second most viewers over in Ghana, he is originally from he's he's Ghanaian. So he's 21 years old. He's a striker. He scored 11 goals and eight assists in 24 games for Syracuse in the NCAA national title winning season. Um, and I believe you have some facts on what he did in the actual final, right? Or the last, the semifinal and the final games yep. here, Sean. Yep. So goal and assist in both the semifinal and the final uh, where they beat Indiana. Um, I did actually talk to someone who went to the university or to Syracuse University, excuse me. And he uh, he said he's just a really clinical finisher, good pace, decent size, uh, but also very unselfish, likes to play off. I think they played two striker system. Um, and, and, you know, as be as evidenced by the assists, he uh, he he's, you know, a good creator as well. So should be an interesting, interesting to see how he acclimates to uh, to Europe uh, with with Leuven and then uh, going forward. We'll see. Good. Yeah. So uh, everyone, uh, the player to watch out for uh, from the States is Nathan Apoku. So Ghanaian, another shout out to Ghana. Some more interesting information coming from the U.S. is the 2024 Copa America that we played here in the States. Uh, and it's a massive opportunity for the U.S. MNT. What do we got here, Sean? I know you, dig, you dug a little bit deeper into this whole tournament, what it means for us, what it means for the development of, the, of our country in the sport of, of football. And then even it, how it has some ramifications for the, the development of the MLS here, too. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, obviously, Copa America is the premier South American tournament um, for international football, uh, equivalent to the Euros um, for anyone who follows that. But this is a huge opportunity for the U.S. MNT as well as just the whole CONCACAF um, delegation as well. You know, now you're adding really some of the, t the best teams in the absolute world you know in international football argentina just won the world cup brazil's always among the you know the top two or three teams in the world um and now now you can test yourselves up against those teams um also from a selfish point of view i cannot wait to go to these games it's going to be great atmosphere there's a lot of um south american immigrants especially in the in the new jersey new york area so assuming that you know either at metlife or red bull arena there's a game uh we should definitely hit that up i'm looking forward to it um, and then also from the MLS ramifications, uh, there is a discussion between the two organizations, CONMEBOL, which is the South American Confederation, and then CONCACAF, uh, which is North America and Central America, about doing a club competition um, that would allow the top two teams in the MLS and I guess the finalists from uh, the Copa Libertadores uh, to play against each other. Um, so again, more exposure internationally and, and really growing the, the reputation of the MLS. So it's a huge, huge step and huge opportunity. So hats off to the CONCACAF delegation for getting that done. And yeah, cannot wait for next year to, uh, to see some real quality international football. I mean, we got quite the lineup of now this in 2024 and then the World Cup here in the States in 2026. I mean, the more opportunities we have to pregame here hop on the path right into newark and just watch some world-class players play here in the states is is massive not only for 
us personally to watch, but the development of the sport here in the country. So, I mean, that's, I think it's a great move. I think it's a great opportunity and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So Sean, I think we'll have to come up with a nice schedule on how many games, where we're going to do it and how many drinks we'll have on that path ride over. So I think we'll be (laughs) a billion. I think it will be really great to see that. So that's what we got for the, the hot news of the day so far piled on a lot happened this morning and over the weekend so i hope we we got to the most important ones for you guys so we're going to pop into our segment number two and break down the games from the weekend All right, before we get into the big guys like Arsenal and Tottenham and Man City and then even the Chelsea-Fulham game again, I feel like it's only right that we give a little flack over to, to Sean and pump up our one of our favorite players in the Premier League again, and that is a one particular player. Kyle, who, 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 who is this magical man again? I think this guy's name is Matoma. Matoma, Matomo, however you pronounce it, you know. Matoma, and he's he's Sean's arch nemesis for not just the display he put on against Liverpool, just thrashing them in the last minute there, but also for this wonder goal this weekend. Kyle, talk about that goal for a second, then we'll pop into the the big guys. Sure, and I just want to give you a quick thanks for including Man City when you said talking about the big boys. We can still say we're there for now. For another um, week. Yeah, at least a week. But yeah, uh, Matoma got a nice goal in the 88th, 87th minute to win the game. And it was a hell of a goal. It was a cross from the left side where he just somehow that man got his head to it against all these giants of defenders and had a nice little like blooper, I guess you could call it, like a lob shot in FIFA where it just got into the top left corner and the goalie got a hand to it. I thought he should have done better, but it still found the back of the net. So now this guy has scored with basically every type of goal. You got headers, you got long shots, you got ticky-tocky passes he's he's a complete player hands down he he is running away with the show a little bit there and that was brighton's one nil win over Bournemouth. so the solo goal of the game goes matoma the cherries take a uh take what would have been a nice point on an informed brighton uh to walk away with zero but talking yeah, about six walking and six away, right or something uh, for, for for brighton or are you for talking matoma. about matoma goals since the world cup i think only rashford's been doing better yeah, it's you know when you're up on on the player profile with the lights of Marcus Rashford, it, you're starting to open up some some eyes there. But talking about walking away with zero points, Kyle, you and I, big uh. fat goose eggs this weekend. So Sean, bro, how about you just talk about these things, and we'll put in our 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 depressing input second hand here so let's start off with the gunners i told you i called it i said it last week i why couldn't you've kept frank lampard for one more week just one more week give us a shit coach give us a shit team out there let's just get three points from gooderson <sighs> park and walk you. away happy yeah i know but i am so upset because not only am i happy that man city lost but I'm, it almost makes me more upset because Man City lost against Tottenham, and this would have been a gigantic opportunity to capitalize on three points against a very poor Everton fan that we've been talking team that we've been talking about relegation for the entire season now. And I said, 
well, Sean, you said it first. Gooderson Park is one of the toughest parks to play at. The atmosphere is absolutely electric. Uh, the team just thrives off of it. They eat the energy and they, they spew it back onto the pitch. And then they have been five, now six for six, I believe, with new manager bounces at home. When they have their first home game under a new manager, they have won the last six, including the one this weekend against your truly one and only Gunners. And I am fuming still, and it's two days later. Sean, what, what are your big takeaways on this game? And I, I think I know we're going to talk a lot about possession, how much that had an effect. But let's get, let's get your, your two cents in while I cool off. <laughs> well, first of all, Dice Ball is back in full effect. Uh, like you mentioned before, Arsenal had 71% of the possession of this game. And it didn't matter because that's exactly how Everton wanted to play. We mentioned it last week when we talked about Sean Dyche being appointed as the manager. Um, but I was really, really impressed with how quickly the Everton boys uh, picked up the style of play that he wanted. They played a super structured, detailed, uh, responsible game defensively with a 4-5-1 where basically no matter where the Arsenal midfielders had the ball, they had no time uh, to create, no space um, you know, allowed to, to make any you know, free movement or passes. Um, Everton actually had more shots on goal and more goal-scoring chances in this game than Arsenal, which yeah, is pretty their surprising. Their XGs were higher, too, yeah. Yeah, and you look at, at the way that they scored, it was two former Burnley boys linking up, Dwight McNeil, who took the corner, and then James Tarkovsky, who had two or three good chances off set pieces in the first half, gets his big old slab head on one in the yep. second half, and... That makes a difference in this game. Um, the one other thing I really wanted to point out about this game was Amadou Onana, who Everton signed in the summer from France. This kid's a freaking baller, man. Pace, uh, yeah. power, aggressiveness. He's got it all. I was really, really impressed with him. Um, he nearly created a goal in the first half after uh, the guy you've been saying, the best right back in the league, Ben White, uh, had a terrible giveaway. Yeah. Um, he drove pretty much the, the – almost half the length of the field and put a ball in for DCL who missed, but he was You're right. That was the, the right across the mouth of the goal, right? Yeah. Calvin Lewis yep. was just a little bit late on that. Yeah. So ah. he was, uh, he was really impressive for me. I thought, I mean, Tarkovsky got deserved man of the match. He'd keep a clean sheet and he scored the winner, but Onana as well was, was really spectacular in this game. I mean, they, they Everton came out completely revitalized they were a completely different team out there it was exciting to watch them I was I was quiet almost the entire game because I just knew it was if we were to score it'd be against the run of play we held most possession but we didn't do anything with it you look at the key players that we had the past couple of games with Udegaard uh, and Ketia uh, and Saka no real chances or threats created through our our main guys right there. Eddie had 22 touches, which I think was the maybe with the fewest on the pitch. Uh, and I know as a solo striker, you're not typically getting a lot of touches, but his his touch rate is a lot higher up there. They're getting the ball to him. We just played Man U uh, during the regular season with, with 63 touches in the opponent's box, and we didn't come close to that over here. I mean, it's just super disappointing to see us drop three points at Gooderson Park again. Uh, do I think this is a massive blowback? No. Uh, did we get lucky because Man City lost? Yes. Are bumps in the road going to happen to a team that's chasing a tile? Absolutely. So I think that's what this is. And um, I think I'm a little bit 
more okay with it because I spoke about it last week and willed it into existence essentially. So uh, apologies, Gunners. I pretty much called that one from the get-go there, unfortunately. But you got to give credit where credit is due. And like you said, Sean, this Everton team came out on fire. So I think it was an exciting game to watch. I think we definitely could have had our better chances in there. Am I sad? Yes. Am I very, very, very sad? Yeah, 100%. But uh, I think uh, we bounced back against Brentford. It's home. Uh, We'll put them away. I think that game is going to be a fun one to watch because I think everyone's going to have a fire under them. And this is not the Arsenal team of last year or the season before, rather, where we went on a a one loss, two loss, three loss, and then we snapped out of it. I think it's going to be a very big title contention moment right here that we can stop any form of bleeding and, and pop back into it. But what would be a title race without a little help from another team? And this week, a unfamiliar hand was given to us by our London rivals, our North London rivals, Spurs, with a big W over Man City at home where Harry Kane becomes the solo lead top goal scorer for Hotspurs with uh, with. With an incredible number, 267, I believe, right? Is it 267 or 26? 267. 267. And Kyle, how sweet did that taste? Oh, it was awesome. You know, just really happy for Harry Kane. I actually do like Harry Kane. I always have. He's he's very hard to not like. He's a talented player. He's, you know, he's not in scandals, stuff like that. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. Let's talk about Manchester City and the lack thereof for a second. I mean, you had one player on the field who was showing any form of talent in the name of Jack Grealish. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was our best defender, our best passer, our best striker, our best, you name it. I mean, with the exception of Ederson, he was the best player at his position. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mahrez hits the crossbar. It's a shame. Yeah, that that was a killer shot, too. Could, yeah, right know, at the end of the half, it would have it would have changed momentum going into the locker room. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You have players out there like Alvarez. If participation trophies were a thing, he would get one. He looked like he had all the heart in the world out there, just a lack of talent, a lot of mishits, a lot of bad decisions. But he tried. It was very mm-hmm. apparent. Um, you know, Erling Holland. What was it? No touches in the opponent's box all game. Are you kidding me? You're a striker. Usually, you, you live there. So, you know, it, it's a lot of everything. But what pissed me off was Pep Guardiola after the game. He blamed City's loss on the four-and-a-half-hour trip it takes to get to North London. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's fucking hogwash. Are you yeah, kidding me? Remind me, where, where does Arsenal and where does Tottenham have to play when they play you guys? I, I would assume North London or Manchester, one of the two. And is the distance and the time between going from the Etihad to Tottenham Hotspur's stadium any difference from when, let's say, Tottenham Hotspur's have to go from their stadium to the Etihad? Is there a is there a, 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 a like a quantum leap that happens between the two? Well, or... you know the jet stream and traffic and currents <laughs> and you know, but no, it's 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 just it's outrageous. malarkey. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. Of all the I, things I to blame that. it on. Oh, Unbelievable. 
God. How about maybe blame it on taking uh, taking Mares off uh, minute 56, one of your best blame players. Blame it on not starting Kevin De Bruyne, arguably the best passer in the world right now. So, yeah. you know, it, it was poor decisions, a stupid excuse. It, it's just a shitty look for the club right now. Yeah. It's just embarrassing. Yeah. But, it, it, crazy. yeah, that's, that's where we're at. So you got a, a manager who's making excuses. You have a team that is not thriving, and you have players that are not smiling. Yeah, You put those three together with this whole shadow looming over them of you have no idea what to expect in the next couple of weeks. Your season could be it, shit. Their season could be over and they don't know it right now. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> so there's there's little hope right now. Um, best case scenario, hopefully maybe Europa, Europa soccer, Champions League soccer, something if they let us in. But that's it. That's taking into consideration that you're anticipating a point deduction, right? Yeah. I mean, it, that's that's just it, though, is the point reduction is going to be, in my opinion, whatever it takes to get them out of Europe. You know, if they're, if they're clear by 20 points, you're going to get a 21-point reduction. If you're clear mm. by five points, you're going to get a six-point reduction. It's, mm. Right. It's, you're, they're not playing in Europe. That's the point of the deduction. Yeah. Sean, you're, you're about to fall out of your chair, bro. You, had so, you got something to say? Yeah, I just a few things on this one. So, yeah, Holland had no touches in, in the opponent's box, but to me, that's not a Holland problem. Again, I feel like we're talking about it for the third time, and we've only had five episodes or four episodes. They're not feeding the guy. The guy's biggest strength, yeah, obviously he's a clinical finisher. Obviously he's good in the air. But he is a freaking pace monster. They didn't play one ball over the mm -hmm. top to him. Rodri, yeah. to me, by the way, I mean, I know he's – considered probably the best or you know second best now that Casemiro's in the league holding midfielder in the league he was shambolic absolute shite first of all the goal in the game was was on him a lazy pass credit to Hoiberg who was again again another one yeah no terrible pass in, the, in 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 his own box Hoiberg jumped on it credit to him played it to Harry Kane that's a good guy to get the ball to I've, I've been told mm -hmm. um and he dispatches <laughs> the goal and that made the difference I do also want to give some credit to Tottenham because I thought they had a really good game plan and they had some really big performances. I know you highlighted Jack Grealish. I thought his defensive work rate was really good in this game, but Emerson Royale marshaled him really well, especially in the second half. And the hockey guy in me loved the back and forth that they had, the little chirps, the oh, battles. Yeah. I was really – I loved that. I was I was getting me excited. I, I really enjoyed watching that. Um, but, again – you mentioned De Bruyne being on the bench for 60 minutes of this game was nuts. He's, as you said, I agree, the best passer on the planet. And you have a striker like Holland, you got to give him at least two to three balls in behind. Give him a chance to use his pace. He's also a freaking monster. So yep. he probably runs over Romero or Ben Davis or, Dyer. or whoever it is. I mean, yeah, Dyer. Obviously, Dyer's a pretty strong guy, but you got to give Holland just... the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and Sean, I, just, you know. Touching upon what you said where Rodri had that awful clearance, I was actually watching the first half with my dad, and I was lucky enough to have my dad coach me throughout the years from, you know, six years old to when I got to high school. And he even looked at me and goes, didn't I teach you as a child not to clear the ball up the middle? Like, of, of course. You clear the ball up the sides. You do not put the ball in the middle. And he doesn't know soccer that well, and he knows that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it just is absurd that – that's how Spurs scored the first two goals against Man City. Literally, what was it? Four weeks ago? Three weeks ago? I don't even. I think two weeks ago was the last Man City game. It was two weeks ago. 
Yeah. And, and they went down two nothing. And they did the same thing. The, the defensive pressure wasn't there. I don't know. They, they were doing a different format too, right? They were doing a 3 5 2 1 uh, this weekend against Spurs. They had three uh, in the back. Well, they would five have one too many players. But so they played <laughs> five. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a math guy. Uh, yeah. There's only 11 people allowed on a pitch the last time. Including the goalie. Yeah. Including yeah. the goalie. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they played 4 4 2 with Alvarez and Holland up top. Um, Rodri's not really, not really like your classic eight. He's a holding midfielder. And then Bernardo, I thought he was okay in the game. I don't think he really asserted himself like he, you know, he's capable of doing. The other thing I just wanted to make mention of city have played five times at the Tottenham Hotspur stadium since it was built Mm -hmm. in 1819. They have never scored a goal. That's insane. Yeah. Pep's on five there. That's brutal. I love that. I love Uh, that. Yeah. And it's also like. In my opinion, it's it's a step past laziness on the team. I think it's almost just a, a mindset of I think we're invincible because you have so many errors uh, that are just unexcusable in the back line. I mean, even looking back to remember when Rashford scored because neither of our guys knew what to do. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, just what, doesn't matter what we do in the back. We can be lazy. We can do tricky stuff. We can just like assume we're going to get the calls. And it's not the case. They have to start playing like they're not in first place, which they mm-hmm. are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we talked about it last week. It's there's not that desire to absolutely pummel teams into the ground exactly. like they had last year. So exactly. I'm okay with it. Fuck it. I, I I don't really need to see Man City do well anymore. Like the, the time is coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just plain and James simple. Is okay with it. Hey, Pep, Pep might be disappointed, but hey, just so you know, James Tesserero, he said he's okay with your performance. That, that's it. We'll see, Pep. If he's looking for a job, I heard there's a really good coach at Arsenal that uh that would love a new assistant coach. I think with a little bit of history there. <laughs> I have he, no, if he no comment. I have no comment for that. Incredible, incredible. All right, well, enough of uh, Arsenal and Man City, uh, but I do want to say congratulations to Tottenham. You won't hear me say that to you again for the remainder of the season. Thank you for your support, your love, and your care. I know you did that for us, so cheers to you guys. Um, They did play overall. Spurs did play very well, too. I know we talked a lot about Man City playing poorly, but the Spurs did play very well. Uh, Son and Kuliseski had a lot of lot of great breaks through the middle of the field. Son looked like he did a couple of years ago. I kept expecting Son to score the goal of the season. I think it was the 2020, 2019 he had the goal of the season where he broke through the entire middle of the middle of the pitch, took it from box to box and put it away. He looked like that Son again playing against Man City this this weekend. So I really like Son. I really like to see him do well. So I like I like that a lot. Um, so I was, you know, upset about the Arsenal loss, but Spurs, you helped me out a little bit there. Moving on to the next big one that we had here, which we'll, we'll touch on very briefly because nothing really happened, was the, was the Chelsea-Fulham game. I thought this was pretty much a pretty even game. Uh, let's see what we have here for the stats. Uh, shots on target, Fulham had four, Chelsea had three. Total shots was Chelsea 12, Fulham 10. Possession again was heavily in Chelsea's favor at 67 Fulham was 33. Uh, Chelsea had double the amount of passes. They had 662 passes to Fulham's 313. And they had six corners to Fulham's two corners. So overall, very even game outside of possession and passing. Uh, I know Chelsea had a lot of additional chances that actually looked like they were going to go in over Fulham. 
but Fulham was a very sporadic, very quick burst here. Uh, back to the defense, kind of uh, hold your form, hold your shape, kind of prevent that ball from getting to Mudrick's feet, which you could tell that they did a very well job at. Mudrick was substituted at halftime. Uh, so I think he him starting was the right move, and I was very shocked that he was so slow. It didn't really look like he was tracking back on any of the plays. Uh, the ball at his foot, I don't even know what his touches were uh, during the actual physical game itself, um, which I'll take a peek at while someone else discusses the game. But I, just a really kind of dead-even game. I, I don't have anything exciting to say about it other than that Chelsea do look like a new team that have gotten exactly that, a brand new team, right? 16 signings, I think. So they can literally roster an entire team of new players from last year's starting 11. And it is going to be interesting, intense, and pretty thrilling to watch this Chelsea team come into a better form for the second half of the, ta- of, of the, of the season. Is it, is it a little bit too, a little bit, a little bit too little too late for these guys for for a push here <laughs> too little too late i don't know about little they've done a lot yeah i, I mean I, but is it is it too is it too too far gone can they get european football here i Absolutely. think they still can i think the other thing that you have to keep in mind is it's going to take time for guys to gel enzo fernandez has never played next to kovacic before in a midfield um Modric's never played with someone as probably as bad as Mason Mount is. Uh, by the way, he dropped an absolute stinker in this game. Um, I know he gets a lot of hype from Chelsea fans. I just don't see it. I've never watched him and come away impressed, thinking that's a guy who's a you know top class footballer should be playing at one of the big six clubs in the league week and win it week out. I do want to give some love to Fulham because first of all. Craven Cottage uh, is a really again another another tough place to play. I thought they had to. Um, Oh, this is actually Stanford Bridge. Sorry. So, scratch all that. On the road, though, Fulham, what a what a great performance. Kenny Tete at right back was good. Um, marshaled Mudrick really well. Actually, I would say pocketed him. Uh, I think that he emptied him out after after halftime, let him go hit the, hit the showers. Um, yeah. The other guy I highlighted was Polina in center defensive midfield. That guy's a freaking stud, man. He's so good. I think he's probably the most underrated player in the Prem right now. I would put him on the same level as your Casemiro, your Rodri, your Partey. Maybe he's not exactly quite on that level. Obviously, Casemiro and, and Rodri have been established and have won everything, um, except for, you know, the Champions League. But Champions we'll League. To that for, yeah, uh, for that's Rodri. okay. But yeah. uh, I think Paulinho is, you know, maybe just that, that next tier below. He is really, really class. I broke up play really well. Did not give uh, Chelsea's attacking players time to create. And uh, like you mentioned, obviously there was not a lot that, that Chelsea did create in terms of chances. So credit to Fulham, man. They, they're really making a push for European football. Yep, absolutely. And and just to circle back on what I was saying about Modric, and you mentioned Noel had him pocketed, only 19 touches of the ball for, for Mikhailo Modric, which is insane. I think in his first 10 minutes of last week's game, I think he had, and I'll check that number two, but he had probably triple that, and it was within only – what minute did he come in against uh, who did they play? 70. It was Liverpool. Yeah, it he was Liverpool. the 70th minute. And I think he was probably touched the ball you know, as many times or more and was looked significantly more dangerous. The only time he really had a chance was in the first half. Uh, he looked like he got in behind and then Mount kind of scuffed the pass. Again, going back to the point that I just was not impressed with his performance. But um, overall, yeah, again, give credit to Fulham. 
Uh, I do think there's some some problems in the way Chelsea sets up. It's going to take time for them to gel. But, you know, Fulham does de deserve a lot of credit um, in this game. I thought they were the better team. Absolutely. They're, they're like we said last week, they are currently the better London side than Chelsea. So I still think that range true. I don't think that will be there for much longer because it is a long season and Fulham just coming up from the, the championship. I think it's going to take a bit of a toll out of them because it is a lot higher quality of play. But Fulham, like I said, there's always one of the three teams that come up that outperform everyone's expectations and they're killing it. Yeah, another last point that I'd like to talk about would be the uh, the little small gaps. There are two gaps right now on the table that are five points or larger, and that's between mm -hmm. fifth and sixth place and first and second place. So for those who don't know, fifth place gets into the Europa League. So getting fifth is a big deal. And right now, the fifth and sixth gap is five points. So there's really not that much leniency on getting in right now. You know, you really have to earn it. And what's crucial to think about is the Man City point reduction because if they drop that's going to open up one more slot for Europe soccer and the right the fight right now between Brighton Brentford Fulham and Chelsea I it's mean crazy. Chelsea's a little bit back even Liverpool's in there Liverpool's yeah, two Liverpool's games right to there. play so right mm -hmm. now I mean Liverpool wins both their games they're ahead of Brighton with matches to play so it's it's going to be a really close call and I think any one of those teams between Brighton Brentford Fulham Chelsea Liverpool even Aston Villa any one of them can still take Europa League soccer right now. Just yeah, quickly, I want to point out crazy. that you do get a bid um, for the FA Cup winner and the Carabao Cup winner, unless one of those teams is already going to get European football, which is United and Newcastle are in the final of the Carabao Cup. So that mm -hmm. sixth spot will also get Europa League, and then mm -hmm. seventh uh, potentially would get, um, what's it, Com Euro UEFA the Conference League. Conference but that League. depends on, on the outcome of the FA Cup. So – but Carabao, there will be so six spots. Um, the top six in the table will get it just because, I mean, I think it would be shocking if Man United or Newcastle fell out of the top six. Agreed. Agreed, Agreed yeah. And with Chelsea and Liverpool's depth, I mean, the Premier League shows its depth in the second half of the table when Champions League starts up and all that. So yeah, I, we do I, have I could a lot see of either one of them coming into play. You know, even one of them yeah. potentially cracking Champions League wouldn't shock me. It would shock me just because Liverpool is doo doo as uh, as. Tess would say. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. Dude, yeah. Ditto. It was ditto. It was ditto. ditto. <laughs> and I bet you you went home and used it three or four times, and everyone was like, wow, Sean, you're so sophisticated. I didn't know you knew what ditto meant, and it's not even that uh, that crazy of a word. But to that conversation, I have uh, I have nothing else to say. I think uh, we'll get into our, our next segment, which is going to start talking about the games ne next week to look forward to, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and, and talk about certain – a certain someone's lock of the week that hit really well. <laughs> My apologies. Right before we get into the last segment, which is highlighting next week's games, we actually have a nice, fun new one for everyone. It's the winners and the losers of the winter transfer window. And like I said last time, this was probably the craziest winter window I've ever seen before. So, so much to cover. So what we're going to do here is essentially Kyle, myself, Sean, will each pick one winner that we feel killed it in this window and then one loser who just put up a big fat goose egg. So um, I'll go first since I already have the mic. 
And my big loser, I think a lot of people have them on the board as that as well as Everton. You know, as of late, the latest news of having Sean Dyche as the coach is a bit of a win. Technically, is that a transfer window? No, you could pick him up at any point. So I think that was pretty big. But losing, they didn't they didn't sign anyone. Uh, they missed out on Danjuma to Spurs, who didn't even play in the one game this weekend. And they also lost out on Anthony Gordon, their childhood player, uh, their big golden boy to Newcastle, a, a contender of top four and possibly future title races. So I would say Everton um, definitely had a very, very busy transfer window with all the publicity, uh, the sack the board, and then bringing in Dyche. So it was a busy window for them, unfortunately not in the positive direction. As for the winner, uh, I'm not going towards the top of the table, but I'm actually going towards the bottom of the table on this, and the winner would be Forrest for me. So I know uh, Forrest picked up a, a large amount of players in the summer transfer window, but they also kept the spending going in the winter transfer window with a, with a huge win over Brighton's Danilo tra uh, tra transfer target. He's Brazilian center defensive mid from Palmeiras, which uh, I know Arsenal was looking at a little bit as well. So that's a big win. We spoke about John Joe Shelby, the tallest man in the league, going to them last week as well. Huge, huge factor over in the defense for them. Uh, they also picked up Kalor Neves, who is, like Sean mentioned before, a, uh, was it four times? or f It's a four-time Champions League winner with Real Madrid. And yeah, I think it's three or four. Yeah, I mean, you could just tell from the experience that he had this weekend starting, he had some killer saves. So I think this is a massive step in the right direction for Nottingham Forest, who I think can make a push for that top 10 and kind of continue going from there. What, whatever this means financially for them, I'm sure we'll probably have to do a deeper dive because they have been spending a lot of money. And obviously being in the championship the last season, I think there might be some ramifications there. But right now I, I got to get my, my, you know, my award of one of the winners of the transfer market in this winter to Nottingham Forest. Kyle, do you want to take us next? And Sean will have you wrap up yours. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to have my winner go first because that's the normal way to go about things. And I have Chelsea as the winner. I don't think I need to get into this too deeply. I think what we've talked about is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, you know, we talk about squad depth being important. They can build an entire team based off this transfer window. So... Their depth speaks for itself. The loser is going to be Man City. I'm sure you saw that one coming. We didn't really do any clear signings. Nothing I would even worth mentioning. And we got rid of Cancelo, the golden child. I mean, his heat map on a pitch was all of it. It was crazy. You had no idea what position he would play. So we now have holes in defense, lack of depth in the back position. And it showed right away. First game, second game, goals let up, errors. So that's a big loss. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the two I have. So I actually cheated. I have two winners. Just quickly, Brighton being able to hold, hold on to Moises Caicedo. It's going to give him an opportunity to compete for Europe for the first time ever. Um, I think they really would have struggled uh, had they have lost him. Just the way he really is the glue in their midfield. Um, the other one I highlighted was Bournemouth, though. So they actually just had an, an, a new ownership group take over in December. Uh, Bill Foley, he also owns the, the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL for hockey. But they added pieces all over the pitch, uh, the big one being Ilya Zabarny from Dynamo Kiev, uh, young center back. I actually watched him in the Euros uh, in 2021, and I was really impressed with him. So I'm excited to see him in the league, and I think gives them some stability on the back end. I still think they're going down, 
but um, it'll be it'll be a much more competitive fight. So I like that one, both those windows for them. Um, and then the loser, um, bias, but Liverpool not bringing in a midfielder is, is depressing, man. I mean, just absolutely cut to bits by Wolves at the weekend. You know, they look like they're completely rudderless, and a big part of that is the way that they just get completely overrun in midfield. I mean, we've made very average footballers look, ex- you know, extraordinary in the midfield in the last month. Um, Gakpo obviously was a good piece of business, but disappointing uh, t- to see th- them go through another window without adding a midfielder. I agree. It's a tough one out there, but it was an exciting window. I think everyone had a good op- opportunity to, to pick someone up that they needed. Some people did, some people didn't. So those were our four winners and our three losers of the window transfer market. So we're going to pop into our next segment now, which is the highlights for next weekend's games. Okay, match week 23 coming up, and we have our highlights for the next week's games. And uh, Sean is going to take a crack at the lock of the week as well. So our first highlight, Sean, take it away. Yeah, the Merseyside Derby, Everton, Liverpool at Anfield. Um, Sean Dyche going to be taking over uh, in, for his second match. We'll see if Everton can continue their new manager bounce. Um, Liverpool obviously made me throw up all over myself in a Jersey City hotel room this Saturday morning watching that disgraceful performance against Wolves. Um, to be honest, I'm not confident at all about this game. I mean, it already looks like Everton's playing for Sean Dice the way that he wants him. Dice has a really good record against Klopp in the past, um, and and just making making Liverpool's life difficult in general whenever we play. So I think there's there's definitely an opportunity for uh, for Everton to to at least draw or win this game. Um, as shocking and pathetic as that is to say, as a Liverpool fan. Absolutely, I think it will be a really exciting one to watch as well. I I hope that we don't see something come to form with Liverpool um, quite yet. But also, I mean, you you're also won't have your second half of the season leading goal scorer on the pitch for you guys <laughs> this weekend. Which is, <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> which Leicester City's center back, um, Wout Faze, right? What's his name? Yeah, no, you got it right. Wout Faze is currently Liverpool's leading goal scorer after the World Cup break with two own goals. So I think, uh, Kyle, you were mentioning it before, if Nunez and Mo Salah can, can back into form, they have the clinical finishers and, and they need to use this as a great opportunity and stop Everton's possible, uh, you know, bounce back. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my hot takes this week. Look for a brace from Darwin Nunez against Everton. Wow. That's okay. a bold call. Okay. I would like to see that. Let's get it. Uh, we also have Arsenal versus Brentford. I mean, this is going to be a hot one because obviously Arsenal took a beat, a bit of a blow this weekend, losing against the Toffees. Hopefully they can bounce back. This is at home. Uh, we have already played Brentford and we have already beaten them this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we have there. It's another London Derby, which is always fun. Uh, you know, can Ivan Tony put through, put a couple in the back of the net? Um, you know, the bees have one of the best offenses out there. Their goal percentage is very, very high. I think they're in top, top five, I think in most goals for the actual physical league itself, um, goals 
goals four, the bees have, uh, let's see here, 20, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, they're 35. In they're in fourth. Yeah, they're in fourth with that. So it's going to be a very high energetic attacking performance from both teams. So I think that will be an exciting watch for this weekend. And then uh, the next one we have here is the Southampton and Wolves fight for their lives. So obviously another bomb on the table. The Wolves coming off of a very promising 3-0 win against Liverpool. Southampton, a Southampton who I had as the losers in my lock of the week, which hit was, uh, you know, just another slacking from them 3-0 to the Bees. Yeah, look for, um, look for two fun players for that game. <clears throat> you have James Ward-Prowse. He's always fun to watch. But on the Wolves side, I love Pablo Sarabia. I think he's an all-star. He's a lefty. He's fun to watch. He plays for Spain. So just keep an eye out for him. He's, he's fun to watch. Yeah, he had a good game at the weekend against Liverpool. I mean, obviously, you know, the two of you with your both your knee injuries still could probably look good against Liverpool in the field. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he, he did stand out. And uh, they're playing pretty well under Lopetegui since he came in. Um, but still, I think it was more a disgusting performance from Liverpool than, you know, Wolves being world beaters. I would say about this game, though, they do win this one. Uh, I think, first of all, it would be time to go for Nathan Jones at Southampton. That would just be disgusting. I mean, I don't know if anybody listened to his comments after their game, but he's citing his XG in the championship with Luton Town last year as reasons why he's a fit for this job and this relegation battle. Um, so he was clearly rattled. Um, they're oh, sitting bottom of the table. We talked about it ad nauseum. They're not a very good team, but – they probably could still be performing better with um, a manager who plays with a little bit more structure. And then you look at Wolves, if they do win this game, they kind of cement themselves as a team that's at least going to stay up for this year. And then, you know, maybe they can make some positive steps going forward. Chase down uh, the world beaters of Nottingham Forest, James's boys. <laughs> Absolutely, which is, uh, is, which is our final one here is Forest versus Fulham. You know some major signings in the windows, so I would like to see how they kind of uh, iron out and see if they can get into a bit more of a form there. So those are our matches to look forward to this week. Uh, obviously, now we're in match week 23. We still have a couple makeup games going on during the week. Uh, Man U versus Leeds happens twice, uh, so we are trying to play a bit of a catch up with getting everyone on the same same playing field. John, what do you got for lock of the week, my man? Well, first of all, I want to give you, uh, you know, some some snaps, like we're in a comedy <laughs> you, club or whatever. You. Thank you, know, you thank uh, you. First time in in human history, James hit on a soccer bet. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm 27 years old, and uh, first time in 27 years that I can say that I've given good advice on betting. Yep. No. So congratulations on that. That's that's huge. Uh, Brentford, right? It was Brentford. It was Brentford. The bees were buzzing. Yeah. Brentford three nothing win. So that was good for you. Uh, my pick this week is if you, hopefully you're listening Monday night or Tuesday morning, maybe even Wednesday morning, because my pick is Wednesday afternoon. Man United leads. Uh, Leeds just fired their manager. I'm taking Man United in that game. I think they. I think they roll. I'm going to take Man United uh, by two goals. And for you folks who may not be listening, you know, slacking, you're maybe listening later on in the week. I'm going to take, believe it or not, Everton uh, results. So either draw or win which is still plus 195 at the moment um, at Anfield. Um, so those are my two picks. First one is a lock. The second one, I would just say, if you don't listen to the episode on time, that would be my that my, my second pick. Sean's got, a, got us, uh, you know, hopefully making some money this weekend. 
Um, I hope you all don't spend it all at once, especially the winnings that I have given you last weekend. But thank you as always. Uh, again, here at the EPL State of Mind, we hope you're enjoying it, you're learning something, we're giving you some valuable input, some fun entertainment at the same time, but always appreciate the listen and any feedback or comments. So again, thank you everybody. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the week. And before we pop off, I think Sean's got one last little tidbit to, yeah, to, I, to send it home. I just wanted to say quickly, uh, thank you to everyone or anyone who has listened. Um, if you can, please give us five stars on whatever platform you listen on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, RSS, whatever. It means a lot, and it goes a long way in helping us grow. So uh, appreciate it, though. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. And we'll keep it going. We'll keep you guys close to our hearts and in our minds. So, again, thank you, everybody. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, catch you next week.